Up World. It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your next order. Today's episode is a very special one. I am joined by a writer who you've read in the Willamette Week, who you've read on BlazersEdge.com, none other than Eric Griffith. First time guest on the program, but certainly not the last. Eric, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? Doing pretty good, Mike. Uh, how, are things, uh, how are things on your side of the world? You know, uh, I could complain, but I will choose not to in this moment. Um, That's a great th- pandemic motto. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's let's talk about joy and not suffering. Uh, I have been one thing I've been doing this week is I've been watching the Blazers uh, lose a bunch of close games. I obviously they need to win, and <laughs> we can talk about that in a second. But are you, I don't know, uh, encouraged by the way they've played this week in two losses? Uh, that's much like everything about this era of the Blazers. That's kind of a mixed bag question. I'm encouraged in that they're playing better. They have a profile for the last five years of really turning it on in the latter half of the season and going from kind of a mediocre team to like a really, really solid team. That has not translated to playoff success with the exception, obviously, of 2019. And so I'm looking at this and kind of saying, What's going to be different than the last five years where they make a late season run, move up the standings a couple spots, and then end up getting smoked in the playoffs? So that's really what I'm worried about. (laughs) You're already looking ahead. You've already looked past past these losses and say, well, eventually they're going to turn these into wins, but the wins are going to be, you know, spoiled fruit anyways. I love that. That's someone who's watched a lot of Blazer basketball in their time. um, what, if you are encouraged by these last couple games or if, the, or if, or if like you've, you've seen anything, what, what has stood out to you sort of, if anything different or, you know, or if at all in the last, you know, in this week losses to the Clippers and a one point loss to the Denver Nuggets on the following night. So I think number one is they are being competitive with the very good teams in the NBA. We saw, what was it just a week and a half ago, they got just decimated in three yeah. consecutive games against playoff teams. Now they're one bound, you know, they're one, they're 50 and 50 50 with Denver and the Clippers. You have to be pretty happy about just that like positive trend. Um, I, I really also try to hesitate to say that in the NBA, like, oh, if you just try harder, you'll win some games because that is <laughs> it's usually bullshit, not yeah. exactly. But with these Blazers and the way that they have just looked completely disengaged for probably a year and a half now, ever since Hassan Whiteside joined the team. So whatever they, The defense really at times has come down to effort, and you have seen just a little more effort pretty much from the entire lineup over the last two nights. And so I think that's very encouraging. Yeah, I mean, some of it is just basically transition defense. Like, get back and find somebody. Um, they're, they're maybe not ever going to be like an elite half court team, but if they could just cut out some of the like, we're going to give up an easy layup here, uh, they would be significantly better. And, you know, against the Charlotte on Sunday, a really embarrassing loss, quite frankly, they they just got boat raced in transition. They just, they just let a team who wanted to run, run. You let the team do exactly what they want to do. And that's why that particular game was so disheartening because it's like, how, how are you going to lose like that? How are you going to lose, not just like, you know, play poorly and lose, but how are you going to lose letting the team, letting a mediocre team do exactly what they want and lose? And I'm with you. I, 
I think people confuse uh, effectiveness and effort all the time. Even people who are paid to talk about the sport as if those people are any smarter than anyone else. But like it's it's typically in the league, effort is not the thing. Like we 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 conflate those two things and it's not true. But I, I'm with you. I think there's been times when the Blazers have just let go of the rope and they've stopped trying in games. And I think that for me watching it, that is, I don't know if disheartening is the right word from my perspective, but it's just kind of like, it's kind of depressing. Like, oh, cool. They, they've quit. Fun. Yeah. And I think the, the, I think it's really interesting. You highlighted the transition defense because you're absolutely right. What I've seen is just literally picking their man up in transition, a little more closing out on jump shots, the kind of thing that all of these players know how to do. And so they're not even scheme mistakes. They are just like getting your head screwed on straight and deciding tonight I'm going to be locked in and just make sure I have my man when the other team's on a fast break. And so it's really encouraging to see them do those things because there was, you know, there was defensive potential left on the table. Like we know CJ McCollum is a better defender than he has been this season. And so there's just this potential there that you're seeing that they're not exploiting. And there, it looks like they may be starting to exploit that a little bit more. And I think that's really encouraging. Yeah. I mean, it's, there is, a, there is, I, I think people are, they get a little bit confused about sort of what, what they ask of the Blazers. It's like, I think the ask is for them not to be the one of the, three worst defenses in the league or one of the two worst defenses in the league. It's like, get, get closer to being like kind of just a slightly below average team. Like, you know, be a, be a normal bad defense that I think that's, that's sort of like the, a reasonable ceiling that you could hope for here. Um, you wrote about in the Willamette week, like I said, Eric, a, a writer who you've read many places, Blazers Edge and Willamette week about um, sort of the Blazers profile and that they are a team that doesn't pro- profile as particularly likely to be good in the playoffs. They have a negative point differential, negative 20 right now, as we record this on a Thursday. Um, are you, when you look big picture and you think about them typically being good in the second half, like are there, or, you know, end of the season, is there, is there something they can do to change that profile to shift it enough to give you hope? Or have you seen this movie before? Um, you know, I'm going to like, you said at the top of the show, we're going to be a little bit positive. So let me let me put a positive spin on this. That's what and we want. That's what we. That's what our <laughs> listeners are here for. Let's hit them with the positivity, Eric. Um, I think point differential, obviously, to have a negative point differ- differential, highly problematic. Um, I do think what the good news is, is that they are beating bad teams. And traditionally in the NBA, if you are beating bad teams, it means that, I mean, that's the first thing you have to do to have success. And so I'm less worried about the fact that they've maybe struggled against the top four teams in the West and a little more worried about the fact that they have not been able to put up big point differentials against those lower end teams. And they've relied on some late game miracles from the one and only Damian Lillard. And so I think just starting to have some have the confidence that the Blazers are going to just put a team away 36 minutes in um, on a night by night basis would be would would make me feel better about their chances. Yeah, I mean. The the weird part about that, and I'm with you, I think during the regular season, the sort of the best mark of good teams is beating the snot out of bad teams. Um, it's it is that's why point differential matters. It's why I've sort of pointed to it, even if um, my dear listeners think I'm a little bit of a dork for continuing to come back to it. I am a little bit of a dork, y'all. Um, but uh, this time of year. Some some of the teams want to actively lose. So like uh, it's more, you know, it's harder to get a sense of what that is. Like, you know, that game against Detroit, uh, they they certainly handled the, a bad Pistons team, but 
that team didn't want to win an earlier win about, you know, 10 days ago, two weeks ago now against OKC, like that team is holding out any, any player that's good. OKC will invent an injury to get them out of the lineup. So I think the, like the theory is correct, but, but it's, it's an easier thing to read in January and February than it is when you get to these final 15 games of the regular season, because um, the, there are teams that are actively losing. So the, you know, the, the profile remains the same. The logic remains the same. Uh, but like being able to point to it and say, thank God, <laughs> gets a little bit different because, uh, because of tanking, quite frankly. Yeah. And that's where you get into why the last two nights have been somewhat encouraging because sure. you like what kind of the way I see it is you beat the bad teams and you turn the games against good teams into a coin flip and your record, you're going to be pretty solid. You're going to win about 50 games doing that. Yeah. And that we're starting to see the coin flips against the good teams now. So that's the second half yeah. of the winning basketball profile. Exactly. There we go. That's it. The, we, the coin flip. And typically, um, you know, the Blazers have maybe uh, punched out of their weight class in clutch games this season. Some of it against bad teams, blah, blah, blah. But like typically an NBA team, even the good ones, they, you win slightly more than half, you know, 51% of these games, like you said, a coin flip, you know, you'll, you'll pull out a couple games when bad teams find a way to lose. But for the most part, these are, these are 50, 50, um, type of games. And CJ McCollum gets a shot. He hits something like 48% of the time and missed it. Uh, Norman Powell shot a little bit harder, but certainly one within his wheelhouse. If either of those go in, I think you feel pretty good about where they are this week. But now you zoom out and they're basically one Jakob Portal foul call away from losing six consecutive games. It's like it is a razor thin margin. Yeah, and um, I think the the encouraging thing there, they're still ninth in the standings. And yeah. so despite all this weirdness, they're seven and eight over the last 15, I think it is. I, yeah. And they haven't actually lost any ground in the league standings. And so. Dallas is right on their heels, but Dallas also is in shambles. Uh, you know, they're ready to fire Rick Carlisle over on Mavericks Twitter, uh, just to give a parallel to Blazers yeah, you Twitter. Lose, you lose to the Kings. You lose to the Kings, man. You lose to the, you lose to Hassan Whiteside and Chemezi Metu, and people are going to be pissed. Yes, and I don't blame them. I'm pissed at Hassan Whiteside for life now, so... <laughs> Let's come back in the second segment and talk, you know, we've talked big picture stuff. Let's zero in on some, on some personnel things and some trends, uh, something that I think you've got a great handle on. So I'd love, I'd love your opinions there. But before we, before we do that, I want to tell you, dear listeners about Built Bar. If you listen to this podcast, you've heard me do this before. I've been telling you about Built Bar for what feels like forever, but nothing has changed there. It's still the best tasting protein bar on the market. The best tasting protein bar, frankly, I've ever had. I, I, uh, that's not in the copy. That's in my heart. Uh, Bill Bar comes in a, a bunch of amazing flavors. Each of them are covered in 100% chocolate. They've got that candy bar-like texture. If you are a protein bar person or a pro, someone who's eaten protein bars in the past, you know some of them can be chalky and dry and gross. That's not what Bill Bar's doing. Bill Bar's making delicious protein bars. And if the deliciousness doesn't sell you, what if I told you that they're all low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber? That's right. Each one of these bars has at least 17 grams of protein. There are worse snacks in your cabinet right now. So don't reach for those, those worse snacks. Instead, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, and you'll get 15% off your next order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. This year, the Locked On Podcast Network is partnering with the Draft Network to cover the NFL Draft live. Get insight and analysis from the Locked On local experts and the Draft's network of national experts. 
Subscribe to Locked On NFL's YouTube page to watch the live three-day coverage of the draft April 29th to May 1st. All right, we are still chatting here with Eric Griffith, a writer for the Willamette Week and Blazers Edge. Eric, we talked about big picture trends. Why maybe you're encouraged, uh, which is quite frankly, not, not what I expected to hear from you, friend. <laughs> but hey, I love the positivity. Let's let's zero in on some more specific stuff. I want to just ask you, I guess that's sort of the big question that's floating out there in Blazer land. What do you do with Carmelo Anthony? I think you get in the time machine. We're going to be talking about being a little bit dorky. Invent that time machine. Go back yeah, in time and find a way to gag Neil O'Shea before he seemingly seemingly guarantees Carmelo Anthony minutes in a public press conference. He said, we're the protectors of Melo's legacy. Custodians. Custodians. Custodians of Melo's legacy. And I heard you talk on one of your recent podcasts how Derek Jones Jr. has become something of a whipping boy. And then there's other guys on the team who they cannot get pulled from the lineup no matter what they do. And one of those guys is Carmelo Anthony, and you just start doing the math, and you wonder if there's some kind of minutes guarantee for him. And I think that's a problem when Carmelo Anthony is having a bad night. Yeah, it's it's not that Carmelo is always bad. It's that no. when he is bad, it, it doesn't particularly seem to impact his playing time. Uh, he played 20 minutes last night against the Nuggets, and his overall line looks pretty good. Uh, five of nine from the floor, 12 points, four boards. Uh, the Blazers outscored the Nuggets by two in his 20 minutes. Like he's that's that's good. That is a, objectively a good run for someone. But if you watch the game, if you watch how the sausage is made, <laughs> you know, three of those four misses are just bonkers shots. <laughs> like, like just the type of shots you can only make if you're a Hall of, or only even attempt if you're a Hall of Famer with the type of confidence that he has. Um, I don't think Melo is like capital B bad. I just think that there are he the way that they've treated him limits their uh, flexibility to try other stuff because he is penciled in, maybe even penned in. <laughs> uh, it is no eraser on that bad boy. He's penned in for these minutes. And so on nights where he doesn't have it and maybe more DJ or maybe more Nazir Little is worth a shot, you just, it's not happening. Like that is not, that is not one of the solutions allowed to a coach who's already pretty damn stubborn um you've you know you've now you've tied one of his hands or maybe one of his fingers but you know behind his back or whatever it is it's it's tricky it's a tough needle to thread at this point i agree um go ahead i'll I'll just add if we're you know we're talking about the defense and a lot has been said about how for instance Cantor and Mello struggle to be on the court together because both of them are subpar defenders um i think the other thing that has to factor in here is Damian Lillard has pretty obviously chosen this year to be an offensive-centric player, and he he's great. He's a highly efficient player, getting a lot of points per shot, a lot of points per points per possession. So having him be a one-way player, to an extent, makes sense for this team, given their offensive profile. But then you add Melo on there, and you really, if Lillard's going to do that, Lillard's going to choose to be the like this this offensive universe for the team. You can't have a second player who is choosing to, to be a negative defender, who is not capable of at least being a neutral defender on the court with Dame. And I think that's the problem with Melo is there's always going to be another guy who is bringing more offense and bringing the same amount of defense. And that's, that's a tough spot to put him in. 
Yeah, and and I mean Dame has been bad on defense. I I'm I will. I'm glad I, you we'll, said it. I was trying to be. Able to I know you were. I know you were. I don't want to. I don't want to bring you on here and get you in trouble. I'll say it. He sucked on defense this year, and some of it is just him dogging it. Um, by the. Some of it is, you know, the, the eye test, you can see it. But if you look at the advanced numbers, he Oh, my does, God. They are he, unbelievably bad. Well, he, does not, the- <laughs> he does not grade out as one of, say, the top 100 uh, defensive guards in the league. He's one of the worst defensive players in the NBA by pretty much every defensive metric. Um, he's been bad. But that's okay, like Eric said. That's okay because uh, what he is on the other end is one of the 10 best offensive players in the world. Um, maybe even higher. Maybe one of the seven best offensive players, five best offensive players. You know, if you're going to use those impact metrics that put him at the bottom of defense, he's a top five offensive player. And so the the trade-off, you know, it's, it's arguably worth it given, given 2021 NBA. I think it is worth it for, for that level. But the problem is you're committed to that. Like the Blazers are committed to that, um, you know, emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially. Dame is Dame. This is Dame's team. So when you are figuring out the rest of the group, you have to you have to understand that, and you have to start doing the calculations. Say Dame is not particularly um, good on defense, and maybe he's particularly bad on defense right now. What can we do to help? And it doesn't seem like every single night Melo helps. I'm not saying bench his ass forever and ship him to uh, where did Normal get shipped? Abu Dhabi is that where Garfield always shipped Normal? <laughs> Correct. Um, shout out shout out to my Garfield heads listening. Uh, can we get a Garfield in the chat? No. Um, so I'm not saying ship his ass out. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the, there are times when you should give him the Derek Jones Jr. Okay. Five minute shift or Nazir little five minute shift. It wasn't, it's not you today, dog. We're going in another direction. Like that's, that would be, that's my solution with Mello is that just tr- treat him like you do the rest of the sort of okay forwards on the roster, which is when they stink. Um, and we've seen it with Robert Covington when he wasn't playing very well earlier this week, he didn't get back in the game in the fourth quarter. Just tr- treat, treat Mello the same way. Um, but maybe the coaching staff can't because maybe there is a, um, you know, maybe that, that public agreement is also a p- private agreement about minutes. And maybe there are political stuff that like, you, if you treat Mello poorly, you're going to lose him. And, and they, they need his, they, there are times when they need his individual offense, when his ability to go get a bucket is valuable straight up. He's won them several games in the fourth quarter. And yeah. so I totally, you, you can't, you know, and, and as much as we all love Derek Jones Jr., I don't think you can say Derek Jones Jr. has almost single-handedly won a fourth quarter this year, whereas Mello has. So there is merit to having him on the roster and giving him minutes clearly. Yeah. I mean, Derek Jones Jr. is not better than Carmelo Anthony. That's, I mean, I think that's like the, he's, what he brings on defense does not outweigh how, what a negative is on offense for me. I know that listeners think I've, some listeners have pushed back against it. I'm not a DJ guy though. I'm not a believer in, in what he brings really, but, but I'm not, so I'm not saying like, I'm not shipping his ass out either. What I'm saying is there needs to be an egalitarian way to treat folks like if you have 10 guys who can play and you only want to play nine, you just have to treat, um, you know, the, the back seven on the, on, of that group, the same way in terms of minutes, decisions and minutes and things like that. Like, I think that's, that's the basic way that, that you have to do it. So we're going to construct a socialism of the NBA for the Portland trailblazers. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, <laughs> list, unfortunately listeners know that I, that that's sort of my tendency with a lot of things. Um, another thing people have pushed back against is my ten, my tendency towards that. Um, let's, We've, we, let's talk about the future a little bit. Um, let's let's move into that. Let's let's talk about what what this 
um, what this group might look like in the future in the third segment. Before we do that, let's talk about betonline.ag. It's just the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. There's NBA games every single night. There are NHL games every night. There's MLB games all day, all damn day long and into the evening too. Literally like 18 hours of baseball every single day. So if you want to bet on those things, there's only one place to do it. And one place we trust here at Locked On, and that is betonline.ag, where they've got you covered with real-time updated odds, real-time props, news, scores. It's just the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up. So head on over to their website, betonline.ag. And use the promo code Locked On, and you'll receive a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. The website is BetOnline.ag. The promo code is Locked On, and what you'll get with that is a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked On Blazers. Let me tell you about the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021. It's presented by the Locked On Network and Odyssey, and it's happening right now. It's featuring NFL experts like Michael Irving, Jason LaCanfora, Brian Baldinger, plus our local experts from every team making trades and picking the next stars of their team. So search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get podcasts. Odyssey is your home for all sports, podcasts, music, and news that matter to you. That's A-U-D-A-C-Y. We are also still chatting here with a writer for the Willamette Week and Blazers Edge, Eric Griffith. We talked about the Blazers playing a little bit better despite some close losses. We talked about the sort of calculations on the roster, but now we want to look ahead. Eric, what? This team is pretty good. Like you said, ninth best record in the league, but the bridge from good to great is very hard, very hard to traverse. Is there a way they can get there? Or what What would you do to sort of push further along that path? I think this is where we get into broken record territory and discuss the merits of trading CJ McCollum. The reason that conversation keeps coming up, though, and I think the thing to emphasize is that we are in a, an era of unprecedented player movement in NBA history. Yep. Star players and good players have never changed teams like they have over the last five seasons. Every single Western Conference team has traded an all-star or acquired an all-star since LaMarcus Aldridge left the Blazers, I think. I may be lying about Sacramento. I'll have to go look. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, let's say every non-Kings team. Yeah, every non-Kings team has been involved in some kind of all-star trade except for the Portland Trail Blazers. And so you have to start to ask at a certain point, is the unwillingness or inability to make a a true impact trade like that, is that going to hold them back? Or can they find a way to re-sign Norman Powell and bring out a triumvirate of three mid-sized shooting guards in Lillard, McCollum, and Powell and surround them with enough players that they're going going to be able to compete with the teams who have been trading for All-Stars? And so that's what I see. It's just the inability to make those big trades. Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, there was an article in ESPN written by Kevin Arnovitz. I don't know if you read it this week, but he talked about how CJ is the most underappreciated uh, star in the league. Uh, and I think there's some merit to that. Uh, I maybe don't agree with the title totally because um, he, I think he's I think he's rightly appreciated as very good. But regardless, the point was basically that the Blazers are in a place where roster construction is hard and CJ McCollum is the type of player they would trade for. 
But I think the like if you were if they were like trying to swing for the fences, this was the type of tr- of, of guy they would trade for. And it included an anecdote about them uh, sort of kicking the can on Kawhi Leonard when he was um, when he was asking out of San Antonio, and Kawhi's representation made it clear that if the Blazers traded for him, he would be he would not resign. There's no way he'd return to Portland, and and maybe that is what informed the Blazers to to not pursue it. I will point out. He didn't resign with the Toronto Raptors. And you know what they got for their troubles? A Larry O'Brien trophy, a championship parade, and a historically wonderful season. A thing that I think any of the fan bases would trade for what the Raptors are going through right now, which is being crappy. They're crappy and they're in a weird, they're in the wilderness. But you, no risk it, certainly no biscuits. I think, I think... One of the challenges for the Blazers is that if you do swing big, you might strike out. And I wonder if the fear of striking out and being bad and what, a, and what being bad might mean for job security has led everyone in the front office to sort of say, we're pretty good and I'm comfortable with being pretty good. I, I agree. I think you see that tendency and they are not... They're not. There. There also is something of a profit motive. I think it's undeniable at this point that sure. that the 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 bottom line is factoring into personnel decisions. We see this unused biannual exception that is going to disappear, never be an option for them again in the Lillard era because of their because of their cap situation. And it wasn't used this summer. And it wasn't used after Nurkic missed his incentive bonus. And they could have used it without going into the luxury tax. And then we saw a rival that they played last night. Denver signed a perfectly serviceable fourth guard in Austin Rivers. And so you have to ask yourself, how much is the is that bottom line, is staying in the black, kind of making, making a difference in these fringe personnel decisions that would maybe give Damian Lillard an, a, like the, the option to sit out for three more minutes per night? Exactly. It's, you're talking about just decisions on the margins that maybe don't impact... Um, they don't seem to impact like, you know, major championship push, but they get you, a, you know, 0.5% better. And when you're, when you're a pretty good team, you know, uh, that tiny incremental improvements or, or in this case, not making those tiny incremental improvements because of things is, um, it's a problem. That's why I've said like the criticism of Stotts. Well, I don't think he's been a very good coach this year. And I, I think a lot of the criticism has been warranted. Like it's just too binary. Like the problems with the Blazers are everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the, the personnel, the people who get the personnel, it's the coaching, it's the ownership. Like it's um, a lot, a lot goes into being, being where they are and where they are is, is decent, but decent in a way that feels familiar and I don't know, like stasis or whatever. Like they're just, they're stuck in this spot of being pretty good. I want to highlight what you said about those, those decisions around the margins um, in the, the, the pro cycling world in the Lance Armstrong world, former Lance Armstrong world over in Europe, there's this concept of marginal gains that one very successful team has used. And what that means is it means that the team director, he'll do, he'll do crazy stuff. He'll like rent an RV so that the cyclist can sleep in the same bed every night. And his theory is all of those little 0.05, 0.5 percentage gains add up over the course of the season and maybe make a difference in 30 seconds in a race. And that wins you the Tour de France or loses you the Tour de France. Similarly with the Blazers, we've seen how little marginal differences can change a season. Mo Harkless hits a buzzer-beating buzzer game-winning three-pointer in 2019. The Blazers slide up one slot in the standings. 
and they make the Western Conference Finals yep. instead of playing the Warriors in the second round. And so those marginal gains, they don't always matter, but they could matter. Yeah, and you want it, the point of this experiment is maximizing your to use a Nate Duncan phrase, bites at the apple or just like you just you just want to have as many, you want to maximize your chances at all times. And I think in a variety of ways through the coaching staff, through ownership and through roster construction, I don't think this team has maximized their chances. And part of me, the like deep conspiracy part of me is that Dame is so loyal and they know it. So they don't, they're not, they don't push the envelope because they know he's going to stay. That's my, that's my deepest blazer conspiracy is that the, the, Dame has done this to himself by being publicly loyal to a franchise. I think you can take it one step further too. And, and I really like Damian Lillard for obvious reasons. I really like Terry Stotts. Like he's a great person. And also I think he's a solid basketball coach and uh, I have mixed feelings on O'Shea, but the point is they seem to have formed this like trio, like this leadership trio and they're all on the same page. And it looks like every decision that those three make is in lockstep. Like, the offense looks the way it does because Damian Lillard is very efficient. I'm sure Damian Lillard loves being the center of the offense. It raises his profile, which he deserves. Um, It makes Neil O'Shea look good because no matter what roster they toss out there, they're going to score a lot of points because of Damian Lillard. And so I think those three kind of collaborate to make these decisions. And sometimes I wonder if there needs to be a dissenting voice in in the locker room or in the front office that pushes those guys to consider alternative scenarios. So maybe we don't give up. Um, on a more aggressive defense after three games because it was a disaster, for instance. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure that they are always in, like, simpatico on all the choices. Like, I don't know that Neil's roster choices always match up with Terry's preferences. I'll Fair be, enough. Uh, <laughs> I'll concede that. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't I don't know, and I don't know if they're always on the same page, but they certainly, I, I do think they have, um, they've all settled into saying this is what we do and how we do it. And they're all comfortable with it and complicit in that problem, I think is 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 certainly um, certainly the thing. I, I want to go back to the CJ McCollum thing because this always comes up. Everyone always mentions it. Um, I did a chat last night on the locker room app and it, would, it came up at the sort of end of that one. And like, I, I agree that in theory, the move forward for this team would be like sign Norman Powell to a long-term deal um, for less money than CJ makes, say, hey, Norman Powell is 80% of the player of CJ, maybe a little less, but he's, you know, he's a reasonable facsimile for what CJ does. And you get, you know, you go chase a bigger wing. But I wonder if that's possible. I'm not asking you to, um, to sort of, you know, play trade machine or go through every roster, but doesn't it, doesn't part of the calculation seem like they got too far down this road and now it's, it's hard to do the obvious, like what was once the obvious thing is now an impossible thing. Like, is that, is that fair? Yeah, I think that I think that is fair, and I think I don't expect CJ to get traded for nope. the emotional reason of I don't think Neil Shea. I think Neil Shea really loves his game and is not interested in trading him. And the pragmatic decision, the pragmatic aspect, is that CJ McCollum is under contract through twenty twenty four. He's owed a hundred million dollars almost over yep. those three three seasons. And from a PR perspective, we're going to talk pragmatically. Whatever Olshay gets for CJ is not going to make Blazer fans happy. We, I wrote in the Willamette Week, we're going to be talking about Tobias Harris, not about Ben Simmons. Right. And I think that, that you know, unless Jimmy Butler's up for sale again for the fourth time, 
it's just not gonna it's just not gonna happen. Yeah, and part of the difficulty is that the Blazers don't need to be better in 2024. They don't need to trade for draft picks or young players. They need to be good right freaking now. Like that that's so not like it really narrows the parameters of what a CJ trade looks like. You need someone taller than six foot seven, someone who can shoot a little bit. Like they need to be an offensively, somewhat offensively inclined. They need a non-negative on offense. They need to be an above average defender and they need to be good today. So really it's the name you just said, <laughs> like, like it's, it's Tobias Harris. Um, and does that, does Dame, Tobias Harris and Norm get you any closer to a championship than Dame, CJ and Norm? And to me, no. It How about Dame, Kevin Love, and Norman Powell? Uh, in 2000, <laughs> whatever, in 2011, maybe. 18. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't think, I don't think now. It's just, there's just, like, yeah. there is a trade that makes the Blazers better with CJ McCollum. I don't know what it is, but I'm convinced that that is. But it doesn't make them closer to the ultimate goal, I think, is, you know, maybe, maybe they can get, maybe they could be different, but I kind of think... Um, at this stage, it's it's just a tough needle to thread for them to get all of the things that they would they would want and need. Um, I will say this though, I hope they keep Norm. <laughs> yeah, I, I you know I just I pulled this up before we started talking because I wanted to drop it in here. The impact Norm has, it, like I think the eye test has said he's had a great impact, and the stats do too. Four of the five three man lineup, four of the best three man lineups the Blazers have had this year, all involve Norman Powell. They, yep. they are, they're outscoring their opponent by insane margins when Norman Powell is on the floor. And the defensive rating is also solid with Norman Powell on the floor and those good lineups. We're looking at like 106 and 103 instead of what 116 or whatever. And so his impact has been like, I think, in, unimpeachable. Yeah, I mean he's he's good. Like he he fits he fits what they want to do. He's not perfect because he's six foot three, um, but he's he's uh, I. I if they keep this trio together, and obviously Norm gets to choose what he wants to do, and uh, here's just a random plug. Go read Jason Quick's story on The Athletic about Norman Powell. It's a real insight into what a sweet man Norman Powell is. Um, he had a Harry Potter gender reveal for his sister. That, it's, it, talk about nerd stuff. Shout out to my man, Norm. But like, and, you I, know, think, I, I, find, I find value in that. I lived through the Jailblazer era, and I watched Michael Porter Jr. last night. I don't want to root for him. And so yeah. I love... That, you know, that he's a good person. I'm all for having him on the Blazers. Yeah, I, I kind of think, um, and I like, I think there are a lot of ways to have successful seasons without winning championships. Um, I just think like the Blazers stated goal is to win a title, which makes sort of the way that people like me who get, um, who are tasked with analyzing the team, it kind of changes where I set the bar or move, move the sites or whatever it is, whatever, whatever analogy you want to use there. Like, but I, you know, I, I think they can build a pretty successful team with that trio of guards and use of Nurkic in tow. And then you just kind of figure out what the rest of the group looks like. Like, I, I think they can build a really competitive basketball team. Can they can they build a championship team? Probably not, because the bar for winning a championship is comically high. It's just it's it's bonkers. The way that they would build a championship team is to like draft a generational talent um, who's ready to go from day one. And good luck, <laughs> good luck doing that. Um, yeah, and so I, I I hear what you're saying, and I completely agree. I'm not a championship or bust guy, but I am a. I want to have a more than a puncher's chance at the Western Conference Finals sure. kind of guy. And so I think what you want to see there is you want to see positive progress towards that. And one of the reasons the fans are maybe a little angsty right now, or a certain percentage of the fans are a little angsty, is we haven't seen 
positive progress. It feels like the team has been in the same spot it has been since we realized the 2016 team didn't totally suck. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's true. I think the hamster wheel and the and the sort of inescapability of time, knowing the age of certain superstars, has made this season feel worse than it is, but also it's a reasonable reaction. I think both of those things are true. And I, you know, I also push, like, I hear a lot like, well, Portland can't do a rebuild and the fans wouldn't tolerate it and whatnot. And I, I think, though, that that underestimates the the fun in having progress, like how much fun it is to watch a team improve. I, one of my favorite teams was the 2007-2008 Blazers when they, in Brandon Roy's second year, and they really were very surprisingly good for a while. They won, I think, what was it, 11 games in a row. They finished 41 and 41. 41 and 41. That's, I, it's one of my favorite years of Blazer basketball yeah. ever. I agree. And that, that was just so much fun. And, and I think that, you know, I think we undersell how much fun a season like that can be. Yeah, I, I think that's true from a fan perspective. But um, you, <laughs> you, Damian Lamont, Ollie Lillard is going to have a say in what happens over the no, next. No, and I'm not advocating for that. I'm just looking at the big picture, like yeah. what happens next. Can Portland handle a rebuild? I think the city of Portland can handle a rebuild when it comes to it. Yeah, y'all watch Ha and freaking Victor Kriapa and <laughs> you... <laughs> I mean, I don't, maybe some of my younger listeners don't even know who that is. Here's, a, here's the thing that makes me feel old, Eric, and then I'll let you get out of here. Um, a listener sent me a note that said, I'm old enough to remember all of LaMarcus's years on the Blazers. <laughs> and I was, Holy shit. <laughs> I was like, but he, it's like, but he came here in 2006. And I realized that was 15 years ago. And that if you're a 22 year old, who's really into this team, you were seven when that happened and you were in the third grade and you don't appreciate the LaMarcus era as much as, as someone who's a little bit older did. And it made me realize um, both who my audience is. Hello. Hello to all of you. Um, I'm, you're not all 40, I guess. Whoops. Um, and also just um, maybe how long I have been sort of deeply connected to this team as a Portland transplant and then a Portland media member. Well, Mike, I'll tell you, if you want to, in the offseason, relive the 2007-2008 season for your younger listeners, I'm sure that'll get big clicks. I'm all for doing a game-by-game game breakdown. Yeah, listen, that. Uh, so I moved here in the fall of 2006, and I, with a couple of my f- buddies, college friends at the time, we bought a quarter-season package. So we split 11 games. You got 10 games and then a little a little bonus 11th game because the Blazers were terrible. <laughs> and, and so we went, uh, I probably went to six of those or seven of those because I was the basketball, like, true junkie in the group, and I, I got to go. And I I loved that team like I that made me I was I did not grow up an NBA fan I grew up a basketball fan for sure but I didn't grow up like deeply tied to an NBA team by any means no one in my part of the world cares about the Charlotte Hornets uh, Eric actually lives where I grew up now he'll tell you nobody gives a shit about the Charlotte Hornets where you live I see a lot of Duke shirts though a lot of Duke shirts yeah right well you live in the wrong part of town quite frankly <laughs> just keep you do me a favor head a little bit east um and uh but but uh so moving here in that time, like that made me fall in love with the NBA in a way that I never have. That is a special part of, of, of it for me. Brandon Roy and a young LaMarcus Aldridge and a certain tall person from the Ohio State University. Um, it's just that that was a special. That's there are there are things I get nostalgic about and a mediocre basketball team from 2007 is something that really pulls at my heartstrings. <laughs> And I, I, you know, and I, I have very similar feelings. I had kind of written the Blazers off just because the fans, you, you used to go to, remember going to Lloyd Center? You'd go to Lloyd Center. There wasn't a single Blazer shirt for sale. 
And my, my brother told me, he's like, you got to see this. Like people love this team. I'm like, I don't believe you. I don't believe you for right. a second. And so we, he finally talked me into buying Chris, uh, tickets to the Christmas day game, 2007 against the Sonics. And oh like, yeah. Right, Red whatever. versus it's, green. I love that. Exactly. Game. It was a perfect game. And I showed up at the, I showed up at the, at the Rose garden and it was, it was packed. I'm like, and I had been to games the year before and there was nobody there. And then yeah. I walked in and they had turned up, like they literally turned up the PA because it was so loud when Brandon Roy was announced. And so they had to turn it up to hear him. And that was a moment when I realized, Oh my goodness, I can like, I can safely love the Blazers again. Yeah. I mean this, this, why I like the Blazers is that they, in a, in a way they remind me of sort of the like, small interconnectedness of growing up in Chapel Hill is the, the way that the sort of basketball culture when this team is rolling really permeates. Um, and, um, you know, you're in Durham where there's a certain private institution that is like, it's just a despicable basketball program that no one should root for, but it is a similar, it, it is in some ways a similar way that it permeates the culture. And when the Blazers are rolling and even when they aren't like they are right now, it's, it is, um, it is kind of a universal thing. And I'd love for the Blazers to be, I'd love for them to win some of these one point games. Um, so when I'm back out into the world here in the next month or so, um, the vibes are better around this team because it's more fun when the vibes are good. Um, and, and people aren't, you know, in my Twitter mentions telling me about who should be traded and who should be fired. Any, uh, do you have any, you can, you can plead the fifth on this. Do you have any idea when they're going to let you back in the arena yet? Uh, it sounds like, very soon fans they are not going to do face-to-face media this year so like me <laughs> me uh maybe not uh, anytime soon because there's no difference in um you know doing a zoom call from the moda center versus doing a zoom call from wherever but yeah i uh the blazers are are working on it i kind of tried to figure this out beforehand and and i was told like Oh, we're hopeful, but now it seems like soon, like before the end of the regular season, fans and fans in the Moda Center. So that could be like in the next two weeks or something like that. Cool. Yeah, should be a lot of fun, Eric. Um, if people looking more uh, for more of your stuff, where can they find it? Uh, look for me on Twitter, Eric G underscore NBA. Uh, my big thing there is analyzing all of the transactions, so I know a decent amount about the NBA salary cap so I can kind of break down all the, the machinations that led to trades and free agent signings and whatnot. And then, like you said, I write at Willamette Week and Blazers Edge periodically. Yeah, Eric's, Eric is is smart and measured and informed, and that's why we wanted to have him on this podcast. Eric, thanks so much for joining us. We will do it again soon. Dear listeners, do me a favor. Tell your friends about this podcast. Just tell them they can get it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. We will be right there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.